Well, let me encourage you to have your Bible open at Matthew chapter 8. And as we come to this final portion of this chapter, uh, we are left in no doubt at all that Christ reigns supreme over all things. Following the conclusion of Jesus' teaching on the mountainside in chapters 5, 6 and 7, Matthew provides us with what we might like to consider as a series of building blocks to teach us more and more about the identity and ministry of this carpenter from Nazareth. Because for many of the people in these crowds, in those early days of Christ's public ministry, for many, that was probably as much as they knew about him. Who is this man? Well, his name's Jesus, and apparently he's the village carpenter in Nazareth. What? That doesn't add up. We're listening to the things he's saying. We're watching the things he's able to do. That just doesn't add up. Who is he really? Well, Matthew gives us this series of building blocks. Block, building block one at the end of chapter seven. We've never heard anyone teach with such authority. He leaves even the scribes trailing in, in his wake. Building block two as we enter into chapter eight. The man who will stop for a leper. And instead of turning away from him like most people would, isn't afraid to approach him and even touch him. Such empathy, such compassion. And who in an instant can cure the incurable? Building block three. He even has time for a Gentile. And a Roman centurion at that. He's a man who's able to determine genuine faith from false. And even without seeing or examining someone who is sick, able to bring immediate healing to that, that man, even from a distance. Building block four. There seems to be no condition that he cannot deal with. No person that comes to him who he'll turn away. As he rids Peter's mother-in-law of this worrying fever and then deals with every single person that comes to him for healing into the evening. Building block five. Although he bids people come to him, he makes it clear that to follow him will require nothing less than wholehearted discipleship. Building block six, in the storm on the sea, he teaches his disciples that just his presence with you is sufficient reason for total trust and faith. And then he demonstrates that even what we call the natural elements in this world, they have no option but to do his bidding and obey him completely. Christ reigns supreme over all things. And that is kind of brought to its conclusion in this final scene, what we might call this seventh building block, to witness that even Everything in the spiritual realm is under his complete control. 
Now, Mark and Luke also record this account in their gospel records. Uh, they record one man dwelling among the tombs who Jesus deals with. Matthew records that there were two. Um, perhaps Christ's interaction was just with one of them, hence Mark and Luke's accounts, but that really isn't too much of a concern. Be it one man, be it two men, how the encounter unfolds and what Jesus did is common to all three of these gospel records. And whether it was one or two men, everything that's said about Jesus is exactly the same. And so I want to just draw out three really important lessons from this story, which for some of you is well known, for others perhaps you've never come across this before, as Jesus, having gone across to the far side of the lake, they're on the eastern shore, immediately has this confrontation with these men. The population on that eastern side of Galilee was a mixture of both Jew and Gentile. Uh, but first of all, these men come raging out from the tombs that were on the, 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 the side of the lake. They are wild with rage and violence. It seems that the locals knew all about them. This way, frequently made impassable because of their violent outbursts. Oh, they're there again. We, you know, you can't go that way again today. And then later reports, back, back in the city at verse 33, it seems that everyone there, they, they know exactly who's being spoken about. And so these men confront them. And the greeting they have for Jesus is just unbelievable. They know his name. They address him as the Son of God. Now, we mentioned last week, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. But these, these two address him as the Son of God. And they are in fear of what he might do to them. These men are possessed by demons and Satan and all of his fallen angelic cohort who once has had worshipped him as the only begotten of the Father. They know only too well in whose presence they now find themselves. Christ is known to his chief opponents. And these demons immediately know the one who is approaching them. It's interesting, isn't it? Long before the penny drops for his own disciples, these forces of darkness are completely clear about the danger that they are now in with Christ in front of them because they know who he is. But, and here's the thing, despite their full knowledge of Christ, we see how fiercely they are turned against him. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Even in their dread fear of him, they remain firmly set against him. Such is the depth of sin in its pride and in its rebellion. In fact, what an even greater 
wickedness this is, you see, to be in full knowledge of the identity of the Son of God and yet continue to oppose him and to reject him. But of course, being in that position isn't just restricted to these demons, is it? Is there anyone here in that position this morning? I'm not calling you a demon in that sense, but are you in the same position that they are? Are you someone who actually has come to some recognition of who this Jesus is? There are things about him that you believe to be true, but yet in your heart and in your mind, you reject him and you deny him and you oppose him still. Jesus said that it would be, it would be better off for the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for those who were convinced of truths about Christ and his gospel, but who, who continue to reject him and remain unrepentant and in their sin. And so if that's you this morning, in many ways, you're, you're just like one of these demons. You know that the things that are being said about Christ are true, but you continue to reject him and you refuse to humble yourself before him. To be this close to the Saviour, to see him, to recognise him as the one sent from God and yet to harden your heart against him and to refuse to humble yourself before him. Four such people are awaiting some of the worst punishments in hell. Jesus said so. He, he wept over his own country. He wept over Jerusalem. I would have gathered you like, like chicks under the wings of a mother hen, but you will not receive me. It was the opening of John's gospel, wasn't it? He'll come to his own and his, his own won't receive him. Please don't be one of them when such grace and mercy and love might be found in Christ. He's come to love and to heal and to restore and to forgive. Why would you reject him? And what these demons say next is even more enlightening. This building block only gets a whole lot bigger. Have you come here to torment us before the time? There's a whole load of truth packed into that question. These demons know only too well that for them, their allotted time is set and fixed and only torment awaits them. They know it. Torment. Torment is the word that uh, we find Jesus using in the story that he tells of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, the rich man dies and he's described as being in torments in Hades. And it's not just torment, it's plural, torments, it's that bad. Uh, the abode of his sinful spirit where even before Christ returns to judge the world, this rich man is already suffering the punishment for his sins. It's a place of no escape. And the rich man pleads that his five brothers might be warned so that they might escape this place of torment. 
Bible makes it clear there is evil present in this world. There are spiritual forces of darkness at work in this world. But their response when they come face to face with Jesus is unmissable. They immediately know that they have met the one who is more than a match for them. They know that as powerful as they are, he is far stronger than they. They know that as much as they've been able to take control of these two men, they are powerless to do anything when confronted by this Lord Jesus Christ. They know that even they are subject to his authority. They know that there has already been a time set by God when such liberty as they do have to do their worst, it will all come to an end. They will receive their just reward for all their wickedness, for all their transgression against God, for all their evil deeds. They know the time is coming and the time is set and fixed. Torment awaits them. The clock is surely ticking down, hence their question. Have you come here to bring your judgment upon us before the time? Because they know only too well, if he chose to, he could. And this is something of a great reassurance for us as Christians. In such a sinful world, all evil and wickedness in this world will be repaid by God. The clock is ticking. It will receive its due punishment. Perfect and complete justice will be dispensed. And it is this man, Jesus, God's Son, who will do it. All sin and all sinners will be judged. And here's the thing, you might not be as quick as these demons to recognise and acknowledge your predicament, but that is the predicament you're in. Even though you may refuse to see Jesus for, he, for who he truly is, like these demons could, the fact remains that if you're not a Christian believer this morning, you have something in common with these evil spirits who've taken over these two men. Just like them, you are facing a fixed time, set and appointed by God. When you will enter into eternal, this eternal torment, the condemnation that you deserve in your sins, if you refuse Christ as Saviour and Lord. These demons feared that their time might be up right now. Right now. What about you? I have no idea. Neither do you. What I do know is this. Thus far, in his grace and mercy, if you're not yet a Christian, thus far, God has kept you. And God has preserved you so that you might even sit here this morning and hear this. That this Lord Jesus died to save sinners so that you, in confession of your sins, 
by turning from your sins and trusting in this Lord Jesus Christ, you might be saved from the torment to come. You can be spared God's anger. You can be spared God's judgment because Christ has taken it all. And instead, you can experience and know his love, his mercy, and his abundant kindness to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you refuse? Why would you turn Jesus away? You don't know what the time will be when for you it will be too late. These demons feared that for, it might be right now. You don't know, but you have today. God has given you today in his grace for you to hear again of what Christ can do for you, that you might receive him and accept him. What will you make of this Lord Jesus? Well, what of these demons? Well, the second lesson we learn is that even the demons must submit to Christ. Even demons must submit to Christ. Now, there's much that we don't fully know and understand about the workings of the spiritual forces the evil spiritual forces that are in the world. The Bible doesn't tell us everything we might like to know. It doesn't necessarily answer every single question that we might have. However, it makes very clear that these demonic forces cannot do just whatever they want. They can't. We see that in the story of Job in the Old Testament where Satan is completely under God's authority and he cannot do anything unless God wills it and we see that God sets all the boundaries of his operation. God is entirely in control. And look at these demons doing likewise. They cannot do a thing of their own volition in the presence of Christ. When that crowd were talking about the authority of this Jesus of Nazareth, they had no idea just how far his authority extended. It is without limit. It is without borders. We, we sometimes talk about people uh, being an authority, so-and-so. He's an authority on this subject, on that subject. Uh, of course, what we mean by that is that they have such a high level of knowledge, such a, a good understanding, such experience, such expertise, that in that particular area, that's the person people go to, because they are an authority. Uh, so imagine uh, a university on one side of a road, where it could be said that all the academic staff who work there are an authority in their own individual subjects. But right opposite the university, on the other side of the, road, of, of the road, is the police headquarters. And that building is full of people, some of whom may be an authority in certain areas of policing, but many of them have authority. They're not just an authority, they have authority. 
They have a, a position of enforcement that the university staff don't have. It's one thing to be an authority. It's something else to possess actual authority. Christ is and has both in infinite measure. He is an authority because he is the source of all wisdom on everything. But he also has all authority in his hand. Because look at what the demons say. If you cast us out. Because if that's what Jesus decides to do, there's nothing they can do to stop him. Nothing. If he speaks, they do. Or he is not God. And he is not the Christ. And he is not the Son of God. But he is. And so they must, even they must do his bidding. Now for us as Christians, does this not seem, this, this scene before us, does this not fill us with great assurance? We are so weak we are unable to shake off by ourselves the power of sin. We are so vulnerable that we find ourselves succumbing to the, the schemes of the evil one again and again, every day in our lives. Yet when the demons come face to face with this man, they do indeed tremble before him. He is able to completely overpower them. They are, after all, merely creatures in Christ's eyes. They are merely creatures. Now, they are dreadfully rebellious, sinful, wicked creatures, but creatures nevertheless. And He is their Creator. We've already seen Satan unable to get the better of Jesus after 40 days and nights in the wilderness. And here, whatever it was these demons may have wished to continue to do with these poor men, all of it comes to a skidding halt because they've been confronted by the Lord of glory and the Lord of the universe. And it all comes to a dramatic pause. Ah, now, here's the thing. We know who you are. What's going to happen next? Because he is in control. Despite the control they've been able to take of these two men, the, the pause button's been pressed now. Hmm. Permit us Permit us to go away into the herd of swine. They have to ask Jesus for his permission. They have to ask him for his permission. They can't do anything in front of Christ of their own accord, save that which he will allow them to do. That's always been the case for Satan and all that he's trying to do in this world, even today. These demons seek only to destroy and ruin, and if they can't do it in these men, 
Well, what about the pigs then? And the behavior of the pigs, once the demons have entered them, along with the restoration of these two men, once the demons have left them, will provide full proof of what Jesus has done. There, there the demons go. Look at, look at the pigs. And this briefest of conversations, there's not many words said between them, is there? This brief conversation leaves all the bystanders in no doubt whatsoever that Jesus has been in total control of this whole scenario from start to finish. And the demons have reaped what they have sown, death and destruction. We need to be reminded how absolute is God's sovereign rule over this world, even in its fallen state. Do you see, Christian friends, how even the forces of darkness are subject to God's will and to God's eternal decree? We, in our fallen and sinful nature, we are at the mercy of the evil one because he is more powerful than we are. But he does not have free reign to do whatever he pleases. There is only one who does whatever he pleases, and that is the Lord God Almighty, and he alone. And that is who is standing before these two demon-possessed men. And these two, the demons that possess these men, they know it. This is the man who is God. What a comfort there is for you to see the enemy of your soul cowering before Christ. You've been reminded in Romans, this same Jesus now dwells in you by his Spirit. And as you battle against your own sinful flesh, and even as Satan brings his attacks against you, be encouraged to see what complete authority your Lord and Saviour has and possesses. Listen to Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. How can you doubt that when you see Christ dealing with these two men and the demons possessing them? The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Do you find at times your faith is faltering? Of course you do. We all do. Like the disciples out in the midst of the storm. But you have to come back again to the scriptures. You come back again to these building blocks that Matthew places before you at the end of chapter 7 and in these, all, these little scenarios through the whole of chapter 8. And you, re, you see the Lord, your Saviour. And we have some great promises, don't we? 
God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things. Now that's quite a phrase, always having all sufficiency in all things. Is there anything left out there? I don't think so. You may have an abundance for every good work. For all the things you need to be and do to live as a Christian, God will give you in abundance. That's 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is he able? Yes, he is. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I know, and I'm persuaded, he is able. See this theme? He is able to keep what I've committed to him till that day. Is Christ able? Matthew says, yes, he is able. Look at the Christ, look at him. Hebrews 2 verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered, Christ has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So many promises. Matthew places before you these building blocks leading you to faith and trust in Christ. Even the testimony of the demons is that he is able. That's why they fear him. With just a word, this is the one who will commit and condemn them into everlasting torment at the appointed time. And he is with you, in you, and he is able. And then one final lesson. Christ has the power and grace to save. To save. One of the things that stands out in this chapter is that there's nothing dramatic, in a sense, about what Jesus does or says physically in order to bring about these amazing miracles. It's all very, very simple. There's no elaborate performance in Christ. He doesn't try to embellish what he does. He doesn't try to make it more visually gripping or stunning. Uh, watch the, the conjurer on stage going through the routine and as all of the illusions and the sleight of hand is done, you'll see all kinds of embellishments that aren't actually required for the trick. They just make it more of a show. The female assistant, the gestures which are, they're meant to conjure up mystique and intrigue. Exaggerated hand movements, knowing glances at the audience. Music and lighting to intensify the mood. It's all part of the drama of theatre. But there's none of that with Jesus. In fact, he seems to go to the other extreme and keep everything to the absolute bare minimum. One word comes from the mouth of Christ. Go! It's done. It's done. Those demons have no option. 
They are powerless. Go. That's all it needs. He is God. That's all he needs. They go because they must. Because it's Christ who's commanded it. And for these two men, their affliction is gone. It's gone. The evil which gripped and abused and exploited and controlled them is gone. They are set free. And that is precisely what God does for the sinner who will turn in faith to Christ. This is why Christ came. This is what he's come to do, to set you free. Free from the things that you can't free yourself from. That's what we've been learning in Romans. That to which you were a slave to obey in your sin, you are a slave to that no more if Christ has set you free. You could no more set yourself free from the guilt and shame of your sin than these two men could rid themselves of these demons. But Jesus has set them free because he and he only has the power and the grace to save. It's incredible that when the locals come down to see for themselves what's happened, they see these men who they know, who often block the road so they can't get past, there they are, made whole. The demons banished. There's the bodies of the pigs floating in the lake. And their only thought is to turn Jesus away. Wow. Is there anything more tragic than that? And yet, is there someone here this morning doing that right now? Fine, you say, fine. But you're just going to walk out the door completely unchanged. Oh, that all of us might have dealings with this Lord Jesus. That each one of us might understand and know what we have to do with Jesus. That we must turn to him, believe on him, receive from him, because he alone has the power and the grace to save us from our sins. And once saved, as we've read, he is able to keep and preserve you so that all of your hope is in him alone. It's a hope that will never disappoint. It's a hope that will never fail. Because as those demons immediately acknowledged this Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, he reigns supreme over all things. And because of that, all the praise and all the thanks go to him.